All right, so Pastor Will told me that Isaiah 26:20 is our COVID-19 verse. It says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut the doors about thee and hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. So Pastor Will says, there you go, that's the COVID-19 verse, and it finishes by saying, until the indignation be overpassed, and then that verse 21 says, for behold, the Lord cometh out of his place. Uh, so anyway, there you go. So Pastor Will helped us out. That's why, that's why we're a team here. So we're talking about missions, and I started by bringing up the, the Philadelphian church age, which historically, typically, we look at it as running from about 1750 to about 1900. Uh, those are rough dates. Um, but when we look back over the, the entirety of, of history from Jesus to now, we see that as the most fruitful time of missions. We see that uh, as the time where, as, as the Bible itself tells us, the door was open and no man could shut. And that, that men got a heart for the book and then a, as a result got a heart for missions. And, and that just spread out over the face of the entire, uh, entire world, Right? And the interesting thing about that, because we say, can we be a, a, a Philadelphian church in the Laodicean age? Is that possible? And I would say, yeah, we can, because we can have that heart. We can have the heart for the book, and we can let that drive us into a heart for missions, and we can let God open doors for us. Because the Philadelphian church itself was born out of the, out of the church of Sardis. We run from Sardis, where, where God says that he knows uh, their works, and they have not been... Uh, found perfect before the Lord, and he's commanding them to repent. So you have a, a church that needs repenting, but somewhere in the midst of that big body of that church were individuals who started saying, hey, but wait a minute. And I think that's the way we uh, are looking at our current world situation as well. There's a big body of the church, the, the greater church that God is saying, you're wretched and miserable and poor blind, and you think you've got it all together. But there are a few that are going, but hey, wait a minute. If we grab onto this book, and we just do what it says, and we just believe all of it, we don't have to be like that. Just like those who were coming out of Sardis looked around and said, we don't have to be like this. Let's just get into the book. Now, William Carey is considered the father of modern missions. He attended the 1785 meeting of the Association's Ministers Fraternal, and he was invited to propose a topic for the pastors to discuss. Carey proposed whether the command given to the apostles to teach all nations was not obligatory on all succeeding ministers to the end of the world, seeing that the accompanying promise was of equal extent. Did you catch that? Old English a little bit. Carrie said, let's talk about this. God said, I'm with you always till the end of the world. What about that phrase that comes right before it? Take the gospel to the world. Is that also every believer's responsibility until the end of the world? That was his proposal. Carrie had come to believe that the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was a binding command on every generation of Christian. But the proposal fell among them as a bombshell. And the young man was almost shouted down by those who thought such a scheme impractical and wild. Andrew Fuller, who eventually became a great supporter of Carey, confessed that he found himself ready to exclaim, if the Lord would make windows in heavens, might this thing be? And John Collette Ryland, the father of John Ryland Jr., publicly rebuked Carey at the meeting, calling the young pastor a miserable enthusiast. And the topic was not discussed that day. Such was life in Sardis, 
and one man who stood up and said, let's just do what God said was called. You're a fanatic. In May, oh, what happened? My notes just went crazy. In May, seven years later, uh, the group of pastors got back together and, and Carrie as well was invited to come back and was invited to speak. And uh, once again, it took seven years before they invited him to speak again because of these crazy ideas. And, and this time, uh, as he re returned, uh, he had also written by then his, uh, what would be his treatise, go to the next slide, and it's called this, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversation, uh, sorry, Conversion of the Heathen. And I, I imagine this was, what, it just started as a sermon for Carrie, but when your sermon title is that long, <laughs> it's about a 75-page book right now. <laughs> this is what he spent his seven years doing. And this is quite a statement, that Carrie had to show up to a, a, a pastor's conference and say, listen, I think that the Bible commands us to use every means necessary to reach the heathen with the gospel of Christ. That was the state of the church. And remember, the last time he brought that up, he was, he was run out of town. In this sermon... Carey argued that believers must expand the territory of the kingdom by taking the gospel to foreign lands. This sermon, which was the perfect complement to, the, uh, to, the, to this in inquiry, this sermon that he's now preaching at this convention, culminated when Carey urged the association to form a mission society, exhorting them to, and here comes uh, a very famous uh, phrase from, from the mouth of William Carey. William Carey exhorted them to do two things. One, expect great things from God. And two, attempt great things for God. Though no action was taken on that day, it took about another six months, and then the group uh, of 12 pastors formed the missionary society that they named the Particular Baptist Society for Propagating the Gospel Among the Heathen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, they later shortened that to the Baptist Missionary Society. Very good call. <laughs> Andrew Feller once said, there is... There is a gold mine in India, but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? And it was in one of these same meetings, and William Carey himself responded, I will go down, but remember that you must hold the rope. And that's where the famous phrase rope holder comes from. As William Carey uh, responds to his friend, his enemy, kind of at the time, who became his friend, and said, I will go into the depths of the earth to mine souls out of India for the cause of Christ, but I cannot go at it alone. And you are responsible for holding that rope. And that's what we need to talk about for the next couple minutes. Church is missionary support. How do we support missionaries, and what is our responsibility? And in short, it is our responsibility to hold the rope. As the missionary dives into the depths of the earth and faces at many times what would, might seem in their lives like standing in the gates of hell itself to pluck but one soul away from an eternity separated from God. They will go. We will go. And if you send us alone, oh, God forbid that we send them alone. 
you see Acts 13, you know, the beginning of the, of the missions movement is clear that, you know, the church is sending, but what we often overlook is the role of the church in supporting. The church is behind that. The church is unified. The pastors are, are laying hands on and sending those men out, and in so doing, as they lay their hands on them, what they are saying is, we are taking hold of the rope. As you go, we will not let go of this rope. We are with you where you go. Church, when we see that happening here, if you are part of this body, you should fall in line behind your pastors and grab onto that rope and say, I too will hold that rope. I will not let them hold that rope by themselves. Isaiah 54 was, was, the, uh, was the text that um, Carrie used to preach that sermon that day that ultimately got men moved towards missions. So we'll use that as our base text for tonight for a couple minutes. So Isaiah 54, he used verses 2 and 3. Uh, I'll start in verse 1. It says, A single barren, thou that didst not break, or that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And this was his passage as he dove into to, to laying out the idea of the, of the need to not only send missionaries, but to support missionaries. And, and the first thing I want to show you real quick in, in verse 1 is that the, he's going to talk about a tent in verses 2 and 3, but the tent is already there and established. He doesn't talk about the, maybe the bars and the, and the poles. He doesn't talk about setting up a tent. He says there's a tent, and, the, and then he prays to expand that tent. And then he does talk about the, the cords and the stakes that hold it together. But I'd say this, that the building of the tent is already done here at Midtown. We have established a tent. We have become a mature church. Just like here, we have a tent, and this is, is what God has given us. The structure is here. The tent is set up. And it should now, now what we should be doing is, are the three things that come next. And that's what we'll talk about. And before I show you those things real quick, I'll give you two, two quick points. Number one, Investment in kingdom work are the only investments that produce returns. Because there are a lot of things that we can get sidetracked on and involved in in this world, and even a lot of good things, good causes. And they die with us. And the end result of it is it, it will, will, will result in it being burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. But it was good things, Lord. People need to learn how to read. They need to learn how to read so they can read the word. But they needed clean water. And more than that, they need living water. And there's a lot of things that we can get hung up on. But listen, the only, the most important investments, the ones that will produce returns that will live on with you as long as you live, Christian, that's forever. You can have investments that will go with you and make returns, pay dividends deep into eternity. Isaiah 30 and verse 20, Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities, Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. We'll be talking about stakes and cords here in just a second. Number two, the joy of discipleship is to see our children become co-laborers. 
or we could say the joy of parenting is to see our children become co-laborers. This is what we are striving for. This is why we disciple, so that there are more hands to put onto the rope, so that there are more hands to pick up the shovels, so that there are more hands to get involved in the work. And this is why we disciple. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 20, you see the, the bad side of that, the, the, the mourning side, the, the failure of that. It says, my tabernacle is spoiled and all my cords are broken and my children are gone forth of me and they are not and there is none to stretch forth my tent anymore. And our prayer is that as Midtown continues to grow and as, as time goes on and, and we transition sometime down the road, years and years down the road to the next pastor and, and to the next pastor and as generations go on, our prayer is that the tent would not be broken down and destroyed and that there would never come a point where that we could say that the next generation has let go of the rope and there's no one to stand up the tent anymore. And the heart of that is missions. And sending and training up disciples to be co-laborers with us and with the, with the beginning from the belief that missions, or that discipleship always produces and always ends in the Great Commission. Discipleship always leads to the Great Commission. So there's two ways to be fruitful here according to Isaiah chapter 54 and verses 1 and 2. Number one, we want to be a part uh, of growing children that we did not birth. In verse 1, it talks about the barren. All right, So we want to be involved in, in, in just holding the rope and growing children that aren't ours. What does that mean? Concerning Romania, we are barren. We did not plant a church in Romania. We did not send a missionary. That church was planted before us. But we too can grab hold of that rope and we can get behind Doug Howie and we can say, we are with you in your work there. We know it's not ours. We didn't birth it. But let the barren bring forth fruit also in Romania. And so that's one way that we as a church will be involved in missions as we look across the, the big picture of missions. There will be many who will come through who are like-minded, who are doing a work, and, and some will, we will get connected with, and we will say, even though that is not birthed by us, we will join with you. We need to partner that way. Number two is we want to be a part of the birthing process as well. We want to, on purpose, enlarge our tent. So we will train and send missionaries to new countries like Vietnam, to new cities like Tampa and Boston, and even to new neighborhoods like Lee Summit. And we will see them born sometimes, again saved in these pews, discipled, uh, D2, LFBI, equipped, hands laid on, and sent out. We want to be a part of that as a church until the Lord comes, we need to be a part of the birthing process. Now, there's three focuses in mission support, and we'll do this real quick so we can pray about it. There's three things that are, that are mentioned here in, in, um, in chapter 54 and verse 2. So he said he wants to enlarge the place of the tent, uh, let it stretch forth. That's, what, that's our prayer. We'll use that as our metaphor for missions. We have our tent, but what we want to do is we want to stretch those wings. We want to expand that tent. And we did that, right? So here's what we did. We took uh, a portion of this tent and we kind of cut it off. And that was Dan Renault and, and a handful of people. And they were just cut out of this tent and they, they rolled that canvas up. They threw it on their shoulders and they walked to Lee Summit and they unrolled that tent and they started setting up. And they began with parts that we sent them and they've added to that and they are building a tent. And we are saying we are expanding our tent there. We want to do that. Now how do we do that? Three things. It says, number one, spare not. Number two, lengthen the cords. And number three, strengthen the, the, the stakes. We're going to look at those in terms of how do we support our missionaries. Number one, we spare not. 
we need to be all in. Sparing nothing, holding back nothing in terms of supporting our missionaries. And the first thing that comes to mind is always money. And absolutely, we need to be a cheerful giver. We need to be a sacrificial giver. And we need to be a growing giver. We need to be happy as we give. And, and then we need to be stretched as we give. And, and once that, that becomes easy, we need to be challenged to grow and to give even more. But it doesn't end or even begin with giving. That is a small part of what we ought to be doing because we need to be prayers as well. And the same three things can be said of our prayer life as it relates to missions and missionaries. We should be cheerful prayers. We should be excited about praying for missionaries. We should be sacrificial prayers. We should pray for missionaries even when it's hard for us. And if you are tuned in to a missionary that is on the other side of the world, there will be times when they will send a cry for help for you that comes in the middle of the night. I see that email. I'll pray for that in the morning. No, we must be sacrificial prayers as well. And we must be growing prayers. We must continually look to expand the the, the depth of our prayer, the, the time of, in our prayer, the, the meditations of our hearts so that we are always growing in prayer as well. We need to do the same thing in communication. We need to be cheerful communicators. It is our responsibility with any of these, whether we birthed them or whether we came alongside them, if we are holding the rope, we must be communicators as well. Now, it's missionary prayer night. And some of you said, oh, really? That snuck up on me. I didn't even know. And I'll just say, that's on me. All right? I will own that and say that historically we haven't done the best at our communication and keeping our people informed about missionary prayer and, and what's going on. Uh, I'm here for a while. I don't know how long that is. But I am a part of this missions team, and, and, and I am owning missionary support. If you're a missionary team leader, you'll be hearing from me in the next couple of weeks. We're going to get together and talk about how we get better at supporting our missionaries, right? But a big part of that is communication. If we're sending an email uh, the night before missionary prayer going, hey, I need some updates real quick, we have failed miserably in actually holding the rope for our missionaries, Lengthen the cords, those are our connections. We must be connecting with people. We must be uh, getting involved in the lives of people, and this happens when we communicate. But all of this, all of mission support is built on relationship. I believe that 100%. Because when we were on the mission field, we never one day lacked for anything financially. God is above and beyond a good God. Um, and there were times, I knew a lot of people were praying for us. We had like 330 people on our mailing list and some of those represented families and there were a lot of people praying for us. But there were times when uh, Larry or Kenny or a number of different people would just send an email at seemingly out of the blue and it would show up in my inbox and it would say, I'm praying for you today. It would say, it would say Ken and Bree are praying for you this morning. Uh, it would say, let me know what's going on in your life now. Those are the moments that let a missionary know somebody is holding the rope. Not the quick, whoops, I got to make sure I don't look bad in front of our prayer team. I need an update. 
Because when there's relationship, the hearts are knit together and you will want to know what's going on in their lives. If you are on a missionary support team, you should consider getting to know them yourself. Reach out, study them, learn about them. Don't annoy them, don't drive them crazy. I mean, don't be mad if they don't get back to you right away, but connect with them and give everything you can. Your support for missions is a direct reflection of your heart because God's heart is for missions. And if your heart is towards God and towards the things of God, then you will support missions. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4. Talking about lengthening our cords, God says this, I drew them out with the cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. And this is how, we, this is how our missionaries ought to view us as, as a, a church that is behind them. It ought to be cords of, 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 of love. Our missionaries should know that we genuinely love them and care about them, not just the, the big things that are going on in life, but the little things too. This church... And Maple City Baptist Church, man, we, we were loved too much by Maple City Baptist Church, if that's possible. And, how, and what I mean is, every time our kids had a birthday, they're sending packages. They knew those dates. They, they invested in our lives. When it was our anniversary, they're sending us cards. It's, it's those little things that go beyond just the mission that says, we are with you because we love you and we are really invested in this work in Midtown that is where we need to get to with our missionaries and as we get ready to send again if we're going to send the Ongs and, and team and then let go of the rope God forbid if you don't know the Ongs you've got some months you need to get to know them now because the reality is you won't pray for them, you won't support them, you won't hold the rope like you need to if you don't know them. Now is the chance. You need to talk to Andrew, say, who's on that team? Who do I need to get to know? Who should I be taking to lunch? I just want to know them as a person. I want to love them. I want to be close to them so that when they go, my heart goes too. Um... There's a lot to look at in Philippians 2 with Epaphroditus. We won't do it. But we want our missionaries to know that we love them as our own selves, like a mutual relationship. In Philippians 2, it talks about that Epaphroditus longed for you all, and he was full of heaviness because you heard that he had been sick. Right? The church at Philippi hears that Epaphroditus is sick, and that burdened their heart. The whole church got burdened and, and, and is, is grieving because Epaphroditus is sick. And when Epaphroditus hears that, he's burdened by that. He's like, no, guys, don't worry about me. You just keep ministering. Don't be so... So he becomes burdened over their burden for him. That's a crazy thing. Um, in terms of our, our mission team and, and what's going on here at, at Midtown... You, prayer leaders especially, team leaders especially, but you, all of you, are an extension uh, of Pastor Bess and of Pastor Mata and of myself. The three of us are, are overseeing missions, but here's, we, can't, we can't stay intimately connected with everyone that we are going to send and support. It's going to be a big, if things go right, it's going to be big. It's going to be a lot. 
but you guys are on the missions team. I have just recruited all of you onto our team. Sam, we're being selfish. We're taking everybody. Is that cool? Thank you. He said we can have you all. You're all part of the, you are an extension of our missions team and, and we need you to stay in communication with these people too. We need you to, to, to have the hearts of those missionaries and vice versa. And it's great if you send us a message, one of us and go, hey, did you hear about El Salvador? Guys, El Salvador was, was underwater for a week. Like the whole country was this deep in water right on the back of COVID. Somebody should have that in their heart, and that's, man, you should be bringing that to us. Because things are going to fall through the cracks of three hands, but things are less likely to fall through um, 300 hands. So we need your help. Epaphroditus was equally connected to Paul and to the Philippian church, and even in verse 27 of chapter 2 in Philippians, it says, For indeed he was sick and even nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, I love Epaphroditus so much that, that, it, would, that it breaks my heart. And Epaphroditus is, is a missionary too, a, a messenger. He runs from Paul to the Philippian church and back and forth, and they're all saying, hey, we love this man. Also, you should be the one that, that, that opens a window Right? You should be giving uh, insight into, the, into their ministry to the rest of us. You can give an update. That would be great if Chris and Will and I didn't have to give all the updates. I'd rather hear from you. That is your job, church. So let us, let's all be a part of that. Strengthen the stake. So, so you have these cords and you have these stakes. Of course, the stakes are the anchors and our relationships are truly the anchors to missionary support. Missions focus will come around and missionaries will come through. And if you, you would be wise, even if you don't know him, if you don't think you'll ever want to support him, to take him out to lunch and just spend some time with him, get to know him. Because God might change your heart. And in the process, he might wake you up to missions. But relationships are the key. We need to get to know missionaries personally. We need to build strong ties to them. Have any of you ever been in a tent in a tornado? Can anybody... Say that. There's a few of you. And there's one down here laughing that didn't raise their hand. I know she's been there. Because I put her there. When you set up a tent, like on a nice day, you probably don't spend much time thinking about those ropes that hold it down. Maybe if you're a smart camper, you do. If you're like a college kid, you're like, what are all these ropes for? They're tied in a knot anyway. Get them out of here. And we don't put much thought into it until the wind comes. But being in a tent in a tornado would be a good metaphor for like the first three years of, of missionary life, wouldn't you say? Missions field is like that. You're in, the, in, a, in a tent in a tornado. And the only thing that's holding it down and keeping you safe are, are those ropes that we, you, you are holding and the mercy of God over that little tent. We were on a road trip. We were coming back from Utah. And we had to go through Kansas, and we'd already, already reserved a campsite, and we had our tent. And then, uh, then we were right in the middle of, like, uh, tornado warnings and that, that whole county, and they were all over. And Rosie, uh, maybe wisely, said, we should probably ditch this idea and get a hotel. And I said, no way. I've already paid for this campsite. <laughs> 
And I wish I could say, I don't want to spend that hotel money because we got to support more missionaries. But I was like, no, this will be an adventure. That's the dumb side. That's the reality of me. <laughs> I said, let's do it. And we were in a tent that we were sure was going to come apart or we were going to go up in the air or we were going to land in Oz. I don't know. But the ropes held. But the ropes held. And the anchors were fast. And that's what missionaries need. That's what they need from us. I want you to take... Um, just, I don't know. We don't have a lot of time to take a minute. I'm going to give you one more thing, and then you're going to take a minute. Also, in terms of missions trips, shifting gears for a second. This is a crazy year. But our need as a church is that we stay fully committed to the mission, because the mission didn't change uh, once COVID showed up, and the mission didn't change uh, with, with Floyd's death. And the mission didn't change with protests and riots. None of that changed the, the mission. But it did change some of the strategic portions of that. We can't take trips this summer. Countries are closed. Uh, so what do we do? Because our heart is we need to do all of this, and we need to keep everybody engaged in the mission. Uh, so one of the things that we're doing is we're looking at a, what Chris likes to call a two-by-two two, uh, summer missions plan. And essentially, it's missions discipleship. We're going to take advantage of the, some of the churches we've planted, and we're going to send small teams, two to four people, to go down to Tampa, to go to Boston, even to go just to Lee Summit, and to partner with them for a couple days. We're going to take uh, some of our mature men, we're going to, and we're going to let them lead, and we're going to pair a couple of you up with Miles, and we're going to send you to Tampa uh, for a weekend. And he's going to just disciple you in missions because it is, it is imperative that we keep pressing forward in missions, that we are still getting trained in missions. There's a trip to El Salvador that's scheduled in the fall that, that, I'm, that I'm leading. And much like a tornado in Kansas, I've not, it's not yet been canceled. And maybe all the wise people are like, you should probably cancel that. And I've been in contact with Pastor Ruben, and his heart is, let's keep it on the table until we have to say no. And, and look, I don't know. We may say no, we may not, but here's what we're doing. I have a team of 10 people, and we're meeting, and we're preparing, and we're getting equipped. And they all know that it might change, but we have to stay focused on, on missions and getting equipped for the mission. All right? So that Will's, Will's overseeing missions trips. That's how our team works. If you have questions about that, you need to talk to Will more. I'll give you one word real quick. Next week, I'm going to Oakland Heights uh, for a short trip. There's space for somebody to jump on that. Uh, I know Brandon has mentioned it to some young men, but if you're, if you're young, growing, you're thinking about missions, you want an opportunity, it's short notice. Um, but if you're free, next week... Wednesday to Friday, there's an opportunity for you to jump in and to stay on mission and, and to get plugged in and to learn about uh, missions and, and just be a part of what's going on down there. Here's what we need to do. We're going to take just uh, a couple minutes right now and you're going to get around the people that are next to you and you're going to pray, how do I hold the rope? How have I failed in holding the rope? How do I get involved in holding the rope? These are the things we need to think about. How do I increase my involvement in missions? Who can I add to my missions team? How can I deepen my relationship with missionaries? Let's pray about that. And then when we come out of that prayer, there will be a diagram on the board that will show you how to break up into the missions teams. But before we do that, pray about being on the rope. All right?